My Bible's here. I'm going to need that, and you're going to need it. By the way, if you ever find yourself in a church and they don't use the Bible, find another one. Not another Bible, another church. <laughs> Amen? Uh, I wanna, I've been talking to you for two weeks, and we took a little break with our revival, but I'm coming back to it today. About the four marks of people that God uses. The four marks of people God uses. And if you'll recall, the first mark was brokenness. God exclusively uses broken people. The second mark I called uncommon communion. You, you see, when we are broken, we need to be made whole. And when we are made whole by God, the communion that results is uncommon. So these all kind of rest and fall like dominoes, if you will. The direct result of this uncommon communion is servanthood as an identity. What's that mean? It means we become like Jesus, right? We, we do what Jesus did. We become servants. Does that make sense? So we're broken people. God fixes us, restores us, which creates an uncommon communion because we've had to spend much time with the Savior. And as a result of spending a lot of time with Savior, you ever notice someone once said that you are the total of the five closest people in your life. Think about the five closest people in your life, and you're pretty much who they are, you are. When Jesus is the closest person in your life, you start to look like him. My mom always said, we took in all these kids. Some of them never left. Uh, and, and she always had this statement. She says, that if you feed them long enough, they start to look like you. Right? And, 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 if, and if you sit at the table with Jesus long enough, you start to look like him. Is that, is that, does that not just make sense? But God uses mightily these kind of people who are broken have an uncommon communion as a result. And then as a result of, of being close with Jesus and having this intimacy, they take on his identity. Now, I'm going to make a statement here, and I think it's in your outline, in your bulletin. It, it might be helpful to jot a few things down. And this is so true. You can serve without being a servant, but you cannot be a servant without serving. I'm going to ask my wife to come and help me. Um, and the reason being, if I did, if I wrote on this board, you would not be able to read it. My students in my class on Monday think it's humorous because none of them can read my writing. Um, good. Here we go. Plus, Elizabeth has neat writing, and she's my wife, so... She has to. <laughs> All right, if you would write on this side, serving, and then on this side, servant. And I want to ask you to help me this morning, okay? I want to ask you to help me with something. With this statement in mind that you can serve without being a servant. You all agree with that? Let me rephrase that. Is anybody here this morning, number one? 
You can serve without being a servant, but you can't be a servant and not serve. By the way, you can, re you can replace those words. You can give without loving, but you cannot love without giving. You say, really? Yeah. I pay my taxes. I give it to the government. I don't love that. Okay? But when I love somebody, you give, right? So I want to ask you a question. What is the difference between serving and being a servant? What is serving? It is, it's not a person, place, or thing. It's a what? It's an, who said action? It's a verb. Can you write that down? It's a verb. What is servanthood? Is servanthood a verb? It's, it's a noun. It's a person, place, or thing. Now, which one of those is it? It's a person. Okay? So let's do that. A verb is an, or, or serving is an action. It's something that you what? Do. You serve, right? Um, a servant is a, it's a person. It's something that you are. Let's write that down. Do and are. Okay? So, so serving is something you do. Being a servant is something that you are. And it's such a big difference, okay? Um, I would write here activity. Serving is an activity, right? Yesterday, after the wedding, uh, I know I saw memory and several other people. And you know what they were doing? They were serving. They were actively cleaning up. I know my brothers came back. Poor David worked all day washing dishes. Mom went and picked him up. Back he came with Andy, and they cleaned this whole church. And Courtney. They didn't clean Courtney. I mean, they, Courtney helped clean the church. That could be confusing. <laughs> but, yeah, it was an action. It's an activity. However, servanthood is not an activity. I want you to understand this. It's an identity. Do you get the difference? You understand what I'm saying? What other differences am I missing? And I very well may be missing some. Is there anything else that we can put up there to show? Oh, I like that. Which one's which? Serving's a duty. Being a servant is a joy or, or it's, it's, it's love. Good. Anything else? This is good. Okay, um, have to, want to. How about this? I'm gonna, can I piggyback off of that, Becky? That was good. Um, serving is a choice, right? Servanthood is not a choice. How can I say this? It's a language. It's a language. Well, you know, I'm mandated to do some things, but I don't mean I like it. But the language of a servant, a servant speaks the fluent language of serving. Right? Do you see it? Um, thank you. If you think of some more, let's put them up there after. That's all I really needed. But I wanted to put that there. To, thank you, dear. To show you the difference. Now, the main thing is that serving is something that you do. It's an action. Being a servant is someone that you are. Now, servants do what? Serve. Servants serve. It's the language 
that they speak. But they serve differently than people who aren't servants. Are you tracking with me? Think about it. How many of you know somebody who serves, but they don't have a servant's heart? What's that service look like? Hmm? Like a chore. You feel honored? What'd you say? It's showy. It's done resentfully. I won't name the restaurant, but it's fast food, and it starts with the letter McDonald's. <laughs> oh, did I say that? I'm sorry. I went into a, a McDonald's recently, and the young, beautiful young lady behind the counter made me feel, now she was serving me, but she made me feel like I was inconveniencing her for purchasing food that paid her salary. Now, I've never felt that way at Chick-fil-A. And I'm going to tell you the difference. The difference is, and I know personally, the man that owns the one here on Zebulon, I, ha I had his children in my class. When, if you get hired at Chick-fil-A, um, you know what the biggest part of the training is? It's not the menu. Uh-huh. They almost go overboard because they don't want servers. Chick-fil-A is not interested in you being a server. They hire servants, and they get them. So the question is, which one are you? And I could probably just stop there, and many of you would be glad and rejoice. But if you'll just bear with me, let's, let's consider this today. Uh, it's really hard to say what a servant does. I mean, we've got some actions here. But it's, it's, it's kind of hard to put it down. Here's, but here's the thing. You know a servant when you see him. You ever been there? Have you ever met somebody who really had was a servant as an identity? Have you? I have. It's a beautiful thing. Hard to describe, but you know it. You know a servant when you run into one. And here's something I just want to throw this out there. Um, people like that, not always, but generally speaking, people like that have the spiritual gift of, of serving. And I've thank, I thank God we have people like that in this church. One of them was up here this morning. It's memory. Memory has a gift of serving. My brothers had the gift of serving. Courtney's got that gift. Some of you have it. And if you have that gift and you don't know how to use it or who to use it with, you can use it on me. I'll, I'll give you permission. <laughs> See, that's how we are, isn't it? It's easy. Would you agree with me that it's easier for some people to pull this off than others? Yeah. Why are you looking at me like that, Elizabeth? <laughs> 
She has this look that says, yeah, you're talking about yourself. <laughs> yeah, <coughs> it is. Romans 12, 7 says, if your gift is service, then, then serve. That's what Paul said in Romans 12, 7. And the other part is, is the part that all believers, whether they had the gift or not, are commanded to serve one another. Galatians 5, 13 says this. You, therefore, have been set free. And God's people said, that was weak. But do not use your freedom to excuse or indulge your flesh, but rather, here it is, serve one another in love. Now, some people have the gift of service. Memory, Dave, Andy, Courtney, and there's some others of you. Other people don't. So you know why God gave us those that do? So we can see what spirit-inspired service looks like. And we can learn from them. Am I making any sense this morning? And I want to tell you, you want to be used by God, it's not going to happen. Hear me. It is not going to happen unless and until you move from serving to being a servant. Servanthood becomes who you are. And of course... Would you agree with me that Jesus was the ultimate model of having servant, having a servant's heart or being a servant or having servanthood as an identity? I mean, he said in Mark 10, 45, uh, and by the way, th th these are two verses that you ought to tattoo on your soul. Mark 10, 45, for the Son of Man came not to be served, but to what? Serve. Hey, I... Do you know who he is, church? He is the king of the universe. He is the crown prince of the creator of all that is. And he wrote himself into history, and he did not come and say, bow down and kiss my big toe. Serve me. Did he have every right to do that? Yes, he did. No, instead, he strips himself down and puts on a towel and washes the dirty feet of his disciples. And you know what blew me away as I read that? He even washed Judas' feet. Did y'all hear that? I wouldn't have done it. But he did it. Here's another one. I read it this morning. Philippians 5.2. Let this mind be in you, which was also in what? In who? Christ Jesus. What was Jesus? Why did he come? He was a servant who came to serve. And I want you to notice that verse. The first word starts with an L, and it's what? Let. What's another word for let? Absolutely. Which means I have a choice. A choice whether to allow the mind of Christ to be adopted as my own. Do you believe that this morning, or do you not believe that? Yes. Philippians chapter 2 and verse 5. And that's a good question. Um, so, I think if you want to say, well, what does, what does biblical servanthood as an identity, what's that really look like? Uh, you, you can't beat what we saw this morning. Did you enjoy that, by the way? That moved me deeply when I saw that. That's servanthood. 
Now, let me share with you, and I'm going to run through this part, four facts about foot washing. By the way, I'm just curious as we jump into this. Has anybody here ever washed somebody else's feet? Wow, stop and turn around and look. Now, all those people in that row, they do because they're, uh, what kind of Baptist do y'all grow up? Free will, parentheses, foot washing, close parentheses, Baptists. Yeah, and they do that, don't you? Whenever you have communion, which is, if you think Last Supper, that's when Jesus did it, they, they wash each other's feet. It is. Both for the one doing the washing and the one having their feet washed, right? Right? It is incredibly humbling. I got so frustrated with Paul and Zach one time when they were little guys, just yahyahing at each other. And normally you take notes for those two yahoos sitting next to you. And then and they, were just, they were just chewing on each other. I said, okay, that's it. Go get a bucket of water and a towel. And I made them wash each other's feet. Now, I don't know if that's a good thing to do because that was forced. Okay? But... I enjoyed it. I don't think they have. It made me feel good. <laughs> okay. All right. Uh, here we go. What, what are some uh, facts about foot washing? Number one, foot washing was considered an ordinary sign of common courtesy. Just like, well, it's kind of hard here in the south, but <clears throat> for those three weeks that it's cold here, a year, you come in someone's house, you take off your and you hand it to your host, right? And they, they would take your jacket and usually hang it up or in our house because we have, like, I don't know who, who uh, designed our house, but apparently they had no clothes because there's no closets in our home. Um, but some homes have a, a closet. They take your jacket and hang it up, right? That's common what? Well, in the first century, common courtesy was to when you're, Guests came in. What did they wear for shoes in the first century? Sandals, right? Yeah. Um, so, and sandals are open. Uh, how many of you have ever been to Israel? Winnie, you have. I'm so jealous. Now I'm jealous of you twice. You play the piano and you've been to Israel. <laughs> how many of you have been to Lake Wildwood Beach? Uh, there you go. Okay, well, now we're getting closer. Look, look. It's dusty over there, right? And you're wearing open shoes, sandals, and your feet get nasty. And so instead of handing your jacket, what was very common is when you came in the house, but here's the key, the lowest, and I'm going to use this word because it's what it was, the lowest slave in the house, the lowest slave on a totem pole was called literally the towel bearer. And it was always a male. Because they wore a uniform. They were stripped to the waist, and around their waist they wore a, well, what you saw in the video, a towel. And when you came in, that was like looking at the coat closet. There was a basin and there was a bowl. And you would come in and you would, there was a little seat at the entryway of each house. You would sit down and a towel bearer, the lowest of the low slaves, the poor guy that got that job, would, would wash your nasty stinking feet. And get the sand off of them. And then you'd go into the house. Very normal. So we look at what Jesus did. We think, oh, that's so weird. No, it really wasn't weird. That's what they did. Somebody should have done that in the upper room. And nobody did. And here's something to understand. Foot washing was the work of slaves. I'm just talking culturally here now. No master 
no son or daughter of the master would ever wash somebody else's feet. It was beneath them. Number two, foot washing by definition is dirty, smelly, and humiliating. How many of you have little boys? Anybody have a little boy? Yeah, you used to. Jonathan, and Jonathan, I'm going to tell on you. Um, apparently, Strider and Ben have very similar sneakers. Um, we just got Ben's, and they look just like Strider's. I think they're about the same size. The other Wednesday, I don't know, what is it? I never did this. What is it with kids today? They go in church, and the first thing they do is take their shoes off. I, I, I don't think they're that righteous that they think it's holy ground. At least I know mine aren't. But they do. Every kid strips their shoes off. So it was getting time to go on Wednesday night. There was just a few of us left. And uh, I'm looking, typical in our house, looking for Ben's shoes. He can't remember where he took them off in his church. And I come into the fellowship hall, and there's those shoes laying there. I said, yep, that's got to be Ben's. And I walked over and did a dumb thing. I walked over, so I picked it up, and I smelled it. And I about passed out. It was wretched. And I said, that's got to be Ben. Ben's got some nasty feet. But then Jonathan comes around the corner and says, oh, there's Strider's shoes. I'm like, dude, your son's got my son beat. <laughs> I'm going to the hospital right now to get some aromatherapy because that was, that was rank. And, uh, brother, I'm going to get you some Lysol. That kid needs that's mm. And just imagine, seriously. Someone, and I love how they did that depiction. It was so accurate. You see how dusty that first guy's feet were? Wow. I mean, that's what they did. It was nasty work. Here's number three. Foot washing, no misunderstood, meets a very real need for continual cleansing. What did Peter say? Lord, <laughs> you ain't washing my feet. And Jesus said, well, if I don't, you have no part of me. And as usual, Peter's mode was open mouth, insert foot, and chew vigorously. And he was the spokesman for everybody else. In his mind, what Jesus was doing was demeaning. It was beneath him. You just did not do that, especially in his position. What bothered them was not what he was doing. It was, it was that he was doing it. Who Jesus was. And I have a question for you. If foot washing was common, and it was, and they had come together as friends, and they had, then why hadn't they already washed each other's feet? Why do you think, why do you think that is, church? Yep, that's exactly right. No one, not even John. John usually is painting a pretty good light. And he was the youngest. By the way, they say John was probably only 15 or 16 years old at the time. Only Peter was old enough that he had to pay taxes, Peter and Jesus. They were the only two in their 30s. I digress. Why not John? I mean, he's the youngest. Nope, nobody, not a one of them. In that room, you had a bunch of proud hearts and dirty feet. 
And you know what they were doing? They were fighting over the throne, who was going to be the best, but they wouldn't fight over that towel and basin, would they? Let that one sink in. But not only that, this account of Jesus washing the disciples' feet is meant to be a picture of his work on the cross. The disciples did not understand. That's why Jesus said, you don't get it now, but you will later. The dirt on their feet is just a symbol of the dirt that's inside everybody's soul. The dirt on the outside is just a picture of the dirt of sin on the inside. And the water that washes away the dirt of the feet is a symbol of the blood of Christ that washes away the dirt of sin. Coming to Christ is having the blood of Christ wash away the dirt of your sin. Therefore, having your feet washed is like coming to Christ because all you do is sit there, listen to me, and Jesus does the rest. Norma said it's humbling. It's humbling to have your feet washed. Well, I think it's more humbling to have your feet washed than to wash somebody else's. By the way, that's why the free will Baptists practice this at communion. What is communion? It is the visible picture of of our salvation and foot washing fits beautifully within that number four foot washing will never go out of style because you'll never run out of dirty feet amen God's going to always send dirty footed people into your life some of them you're married to some of them are your children some of them are your neighbors. Some of them are your mother-in-law. Not me. Some of you. Everybody's got dirty feet, and that's the good thing about foot washing. Everybody around you got dirty feet? Wouldn't it be great if we just take a few minutes this morning and prove that? Yeah, getting nervous now, aren't you? I won't do that to you. <laughs> That'd be the end of this service right there. Elvis is looking for the door. <laughs> I mean, even to think about that is frightening. I was joking around one time. I, I told mom, I said, yes, I think we're going to have a foot washing ceremony. And dad pipes up, tell me what it is. He said, I won't be there. <laughs> oh, I'll tell you what. It brings me to the end of this message about Jesus Christ. The reason it's so scary, the thought of washing somebody else's feet, is that underneath all the exterior, here it is, listen to me, we all got dirty feet. Feet are, are really the most humble part of your body, aren't they? We cover them up. We don't even wear sandals hardly anymore. Because feet are just feet, man, you know? And by the way, this is a pet, I hate flip-flops, can't wear them can't put anything between my toes I mean it just isn't right I can't walk and I don't know how you all do that I just don't but I digress <laughs> Jesus came listen listen to this to a world of dirty feet and he didn't come to speak out against dirty feet he came to clean them you can rail against the darkness or you can turn on the light. You can rail against people's sin or you can introduce them to Jesus who can cleanse them of it. I'm tired of people taking stands. We need to take a knee. 
Next time you feel so righteous and you're going to take a stand, take a knee. Get a basin and a towel. The greatest washing of all took place when Jesus died on the cross and his blood was poured out. And notice what Jesus says. Now you know that you ought to do this. And if I, your Lord and Master, have washed your feet, you ought also to do what? Wash each other's feet. Now you know. Don't you hate that phrase? Now you know. Because with knowledge comes responsibility. And Jesus said, and then he says this. He says, and you'll be blessed. And there's a big word. If you've got your own Bible, circle it. If you do it. If you do it. So, brothers and sisters, I got good news and bad news. And the bad news is that feet stink. And if you're going to wash feet, you're going to do some humbling things and some humiliating things. And you're going to be involved in some situations that aren't very nice or popular. Or that aren't going to be seen by the masses. And you aren't going to necessarily be applauded for it. And the good news is there's a great reward for foot washers. You'll be blessed if you do these things. And there's three reasons why Jesus, why we ought to wash dirty feet. <clears throat> Number one, because Jesus did it. Hey, Jesus said, you call me Lord and Master and you say rightly, for it is so. And if I, your Lord and Master, have done this, I'm going to put this in my terms, then you have no excuse. Right? Don't you just wish Jesus would have made John do this and then we wouldn't even have to have this sermon? But he didn't. He did it himself. Number two, because dirty feet need washing. Oh, listen, remember, the dirty feet is a symbol of people who are covered in their own sin and a result of this world. How many people do you know today that are, that are lost in their sin and they need to be cleansed by the blood of the Lamb of God? And to do that, it might mean not taking a stand, but taking a knee. Are you willing to do that? And if you are, Jesus says, hey, you are going to be so blessed when you do this. <laughs> you know, it's, it's addictive. It's addictive. Number three, that's it, because we're blessed when we do it. How many of you want to be blessed? Of course you do. I have never met one person my whole life said, no, you know what, preacher? I'd rather be cursed. <laughs> we all want to be blessed, Right? And she said, let me tell you how to, how to be blessed. Get on your knees and serve people. Foot washing is a distinctive mark of the followers of Jesus Christ. So how did Jesus do it? I'm going to run through these, and I'm going to challenge you at the end. Here we go. Number one, Jesus saw a need, and he moved to meet it. Do you notice when this happens? It's right in the middle of the meal. When are you supposed to have your feet washed? I told you. When you come in. By the way, how many of you had mothers that said, go wash your hands before you eat? Did all your mamas tell you that? Right? There's an order to things. One of the, it was a boy, never had a, never had a daughter do this, only boys. I forget which one it was. I think it was Zach. I sent him to take a shower, and he comes out of his room with new clothes on. Hmm? All of them. All, not the girls, though, just the boys. Boys are so nasty. Uh, they, comes out, they come out of the room with their clean clothes on. I said, 
What'd you change for? He said, I got my clean clothes. He said, you put them on a dirty body. He said, well, I'm going to go take a shower. But you defiled your clothes with your nasty body. They don't get it. I mean, it's like talking to that wall. You know, there's an order to things. Right? Jesus saw a need, and he moved, moved to meet it. But, but, but it should have been done. They're already sitting down. Listen, they're sitting down with nasty feet. Eating the most sacred meal of the year was their Thanksgiving, literally. Jesus said, oh, man, look at this. i got to do something about it. Number two, listen to this, listen to this. He did not wait for an invitation. Some of you say, well, you know what? I'll serve my neighbor when. You will not. You will sit on your porch till Jesus comes. Jesus did not wait for someone to ask him to do it. He saw a need. He moved to meet it. He didn't wait for someone to ask. And look at this. Number three, he took the initiative. My wife's favorite word. She says it funny. She says it initiative, which is she's probably right. He took the initiative. What's that mean? He took matters into his own. He saw a need. No one asked him to do it. He just went and did it of his own accord. He took the initiative. Number three, he took off his uniform of greatness and he got down on his knees. Do you know who this is? This is the Lord of glory. This is the Logos of God, who in the beginning was the Logos, Jesus. The same was in the beginning with God. All things were made by him, and without him was not anything made that was made. In him was life, and that life was the light of men, and the light shineth in darkness, and the darkness comprehended it not. That Jesus took off the glory of who he was, and he got down on his knees. And if he can do it, your pastor has no excuse not to. Number five, he did not announce what he was going to do. Oh, how many times do we do this? Attention, everybody. I am going to perform an act of service, and I want everybody to see and to know exactly what I am doing. Because when it is all done, you should bow down and worship me. Because that's just how amazing I am. By the way, you want to serve somebody, do it in hiddenness. Do it in such a way that nobody knows what you have done except the Lord who sees in secret and let God reward you openly. And I'm talking to me. Mm, I don't like this message. And then number six. This one, this one hurts me. I never thought about it until I thought about it. He did not wait for a thank you. And look at this. And he didn't get one either. He didn't receive one either. Mm. When I get to heaven, I'm going to get with those 11 guys. And I'm going to say, what were you thinking? What were you thinking? They didn't even thank him. You know why that didn't matter to him? Because Jesus didn't serve. Instead, he was a servant. You see the difference? Servanthood begins with the attitude of the heart. It begins with how you see yourself. And I want to land this plane this morning by something that jumped off the page this as I read this morning for the last time. 
This is so rich to me. Look at verse 2. And supper being ended, the devil having already put it in the heart of Judas Iscariot, Simon's son, to betray him. Look at verse 3. This is it. This, 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 this jumped all over me this morning. Jesus, knowing. What did Jesus know? Knowing that the Father had given all things into his hands. And that he had come from God and was going to God. Okay, that's a big parenthesis. And I know what you do. You do exactly what I did when I was studying this week. You read that and say, okay, 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 I, I got that, but I want to get to what really happened. No, 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 no. If verse 3 doesn't, if verse 3 is not a reality, verse 4 never exists. Listen to me. As I'm pondering this thing, I'm thinking, how did, how did he pull this off? How did Jesus do this? How did he do it? Verse 3. Verse 3 is how Jesus did it. I can't remember if I put that on the screen or not. I don't know that I did. But here it is. I'll just I'll just share it with you. Apparently I did not. It must have been all in my head. Is there anything else after that? What is it? The mark takeaways? Okay. Wait right there. Look at this. Look at this first phrase. Verse 3. Jesus, knowing that the Father had given all things into his hands. You know what that is? Foundation. Foundation. Jesus knew that his Father... had planned everything that was about to happen. Let me put it this way. Jesus had perfect faith agreement with his Father, had perfect faith in his Father. He knew that God had given all things to him. Look, here's what he meant. That God had withheld how much from the Son? Say it louder. Nothing. And that he had given how much into his hands? All things. All things. And that gave Jesus an incredible confidence that the Father had given him all things. And Jesus was able to operate and do amazing things. Listen to me, listen to me. Because he was confident in who God was in his life. And that whatever God ordained, as David would say much earlier in the Psalms, is right. And that the hell, literally, that he was about to endure was right. Let me put it this way. Jesus had no fear of the Father's will. How many of you do? How many of you are scared to death of the will of God for your life? I am. I'm oftentimes petrified of it. Jesus wasn't. Because it was all his. Through the, everything was Father filtered. Look at the next phrase. So because Jesus had implicit trust in the Father, look at, look at verse number, or the next phrase in verse number three. 
I've got to find a small print. Jesus, knowing that the Father had given him all things into his hands, look at this, and that he had come from where? God. That's his past. Jesus knew where he had come from. That's right. That's right. Presently, he was, he was convinced that the Father had given him everything he needed for what he was about to endure. So in the present, Jesus was ultimately confident. In the past, his history, he, was, he knew where he came from. He had come from where? From God. God had sent him to where? And then the next phrase is what? And he knew that he would what? Return back to God. He knew where he was going. He knew his history you listening to me? He knew his history. He knew where he came from. And he knew his destiny where he was going. And here's what I want to say. I've got a powerful application here. And here it is. You ready? Until you know God, you've got no hope of being a servant. All you can do is serve, and it's all on your terms, and it's all for you. And at the end of the day, it means nothing. And you can't move over to this category of identity unless you know God and are confident that he's got you covered and that whatever person he calls for you to get on your knee and wash their feet, that God's got your back. And you can do it expecting nothing in return except for God to get glory. That's why Jesus could pull it off. Let me give you some takeaways. Here we go. First one. What are you living out of? What are you living out of? What did Jesus live out of? That next one, please. Do you know whose you are? Oh, I want you to listen to me. Do you know who you belong to? Are you God's? Are you really God's by faith in Jesus alone and nothing else? Not your baptism, not communion, not nothing. Just Jesus did it all. You just sat there, and he didn't just wash your feet. He washed your soul. Do you know who you are? Here's the next one. Do you know where you've come from, your history? Let me tell you, I don't particularly like admitting my history. I like to think that I'm a pretty good person, that Jesus barely needed to die for me. Now, for some of you, he really needed to die. But for me, not some, I'm not that bad of a person. Baloney. Do you know where you come from? Man, I knew what I was. My dear sweet wife, as she was say, well, you were very, how old were you when you accepted Christ? Four? I mean, she, she stopped writing on the walls with crayon. How many sins can you do at four? You got a pretty clean history. I was saved at 15. I did a whole, whole lot more than writing on the walls with crayon. Let me tell you something. She needed Jesus' forgiveness every bit as much as her future husband did. The sin is sin. Do you know your history? Here's the, here's the next one. Do you know where you're going? Do you know your destiny? Jesus, I know I came from God, and I know I'm going back to him. So I'm going to put this towel on, and I'm going to do this, not for them, but for Dad. You know where you're going. Do you know God or you just know about him? I think there's one more in there, isn't there? 
When was the last time you served someone like Jesus did? I want you to really ponder that one. And if you can't think of it, you're probably living out of this category. You're, you're serving when you want to and when it serves your interests. But servanthood as an identity may have still escaped you. And then here's the big question. As it comes up, whose feet are you going to wash today? Remember I asked you to ask the Lord. I'm going to give you one more chance to do that. We're going to sing that song. Man, my musicians come. We're going to sing that little song one more time, Make Me a Servant. Whose feet are you going to wash today? And I want to I close with this. There's a person that God put in my life that's been very disappointing. It's not my wife. It's my mother. No, I'm kidding. It's not mom either. <laughs> Both of those women have been massively encouraging to me more than I ever would deserve. No, but there's a person that God put in my life that I really thought that, oh, this is going to be a great relationship. And, and then it went south. Have you ever had that happen to you? But I still have to see them all the time. Have you ever had that happen to you? And I started doing, I started doing something for this person when things were good. And then things were not good. And I was, my wife will tell you, I got a really nasty, I got a nasty flush, don't I? I, I do. It's, it's, it could, I could have been a serial killer were it not for Jesus. I'm telling you, I got an ugly, ugly flush. I just do. So, so I'm doing this thing, right, this really nice thing for this person. And then things go, mm, and, and you, I don't want to do this thing anymore. I don't want to wash feet no more. I'm not washing, mm-mm. Nope, not unless it's ice cold water. But you know, the Lord said, Lord convicted me bad of that. So we're just going to keep doing it. I don't like it, but we keep doing it. So we keep doing it. Then I find out, found this out, that this lovely person has gone behind my back and has tried to get me in a lot of trouble, like legal trouble. And all I've done is try to just and I didn't even want to keep serving this person. God made me do it. And then I turned around, and, and there, was, there was a little issue. It's really a misunderstanding. Never came to me. Supposedly, this person's a Christian. I want to introduce them to Matthew 18. Never came to me, but instead went to the authorities. I said, this is what this person's doing. And I found out because I have a friend who's in a position of authority. <laughs> I said, hey, just want you to know, we just got this report. I said, dear Lord. I said, well, that's the last straw. I am not serving this person no more. And I told God that. Have anybody here ever heard God laugh? Mm -hmm, that's exactly what he did. He laughed at me. He said, oh, yes, you are. Because, listen to me, if you're a servant, you what? And Jesus washed Judas' feet. And Jesus knew that Judas was never going to be right. That's going to sell him out. And I felt sold out. Even telling that story, I'm getting kind of a little angry again. I'm not kidding you. But I'm going to tell you something. You know what? You know what? After I calmed down, I went to God and I was telling God on this person. I said, Did you, do you know what? Do you know what they did? 
Do you know what I've done in your name for this person? Do you, get them, God. Get them. And I ain't doing this no more. And you know what the Lord said? You just got a really nice new smoker. One thing I do know about this person is they love smoked food. And you're going to cook for this person. I said, over my deadest dead body, I'm going to do that. <laughs> you cook for them. You can make manna. You do it. I'm not, nothing's going on my smoker for them. You know what I'm doing tomorrow? I'm cooking for them. It's not you, but I'll bring you some because you're pregnant. I feel bad for you. <laughs> okay? Okay. And you know what God told me when I told on this person? I, wonderful. Because now you can serve them with more pure motives. And what I want you to do in response to this ugly, nasty thing that's been done to you is I want you to return good for evil. And I'm just, I did, God's my father, right? I said, God, well, I'd rather eat ground glass and die than do that. And you know what I heard in response? I know. And my son died for that attitude. And I said, Lord, should it be honey barbecue or hickory? You tell me. <laughs> oh, I just want to ask you this morning. You want to be used by God? Got to get over yourself. You got to stop serving. You got to become a servant. And that's a transformation of the heart. Ask God one more time to lay that person on your heart. You stand and sing with me.